John Kasich shows us his warm and funny side. Well, kind of. <laughs> From the Battelle studio at WOSU at COSI, this is Columbus on the Record. Joining Mike Thompson this week, Reginald Fields, Columbus Bureau Chief for the Cleveland Plain Dealer. Daryl Rowland, Senior Editor for the Columbus Dispatch. Republican strategist Terry Casey. And Sam Gresham of Common Cause, Ohio. It was warm and fuzzy side, fuzzy side, I meant to say. John Kasich this week debuted his second television spot. In it, he shows us his softer side. Well, kind of. We'll get to that in just a moment. But first, a new poll seems to show that John Kasich has opened up a lead on Ted Strickland. The Reuters Ipsos poll shows Kasich with a nine-point lead over Ted Strickland, 48% to 39%. But that same poll still shows most people don't know a lot about John Kasich. And a lot of voters, about a third of independents, say they are less likely to vote for Kasich because of his former Wall Street career. Reggie, the, every other poll has had this t race much tighter. Why is this one so different? You know, it's, it's polls. You never know what you're going to get from these polls. And, and, and it's definitely interesting because this one is nine uh, points. Now we're reaching into the double digit territory. And it certainly, I believe, uh, for the Strickland campaign, it should be of concern because it certainly seems that things with this campaign are sort of trending that way. I'm not sure if it really is a nine point margin. Uh, but by the same token, the Kasich campaign, uh, I believe if you were able to, to talk to some of them, they're not exactly turning cartwheels over this because they really realize that this same poll, as you have pointed out, shows that people still don't really know who John Kasich is. And so right now he's getting a lot of mileage over the fact that um, this economy is bringing down the job approval numbers of, of the current governor. And, um, and, and John Kasich right now hasn't had to tell people very much about who he is to still look good in these polls early on. I think this poll reflects the spastic nature of the economy spilling over into the political reality of people. The driving force in the economy, as this poll indicated, is, is jobs. And any place anybody could find somebody that's going to help them solve the problem of jobs. If I was um, Strickland, I would be a little concerned. But there is some good news. That's 24% of the independents have not made up their mind with regards to the, the, the governor's campaign. And this is August. So it'll take a little time. To pick up on Sam's point about the governor being concerned, I think the biggest thing for concern for him is throughout the last year or so, he's been stuck at around 42, 43%. Kasich is starting to move up. And part of the problem is the governor was last on TV on July 2nd. So he's been off the air. Kasich's been off the, uh, on the air and it started to move for him. So it's not locked up. But when you look at this poll, this is not one of these predictive robocalls where people are punching a phone. This is real voters, and I think they're testing voter likelihood to turn out and get the more likely voter. But it, well, I think you do have to look at the numbers, Terry. Uh, again, nine-point lead, they, they, you know, there's no disputing that. Look at the margin of error for likely voters. You get down to the likely voters, there's only a little over 400. The margin of error is plus or minus four point something percent. So a nine-point lead is almost a statistical tie. 
Yeah, but so but the, but you got to look at the sample size here too. Now, Ipsos right. is a good polling outfit. Reuters, obviously, a very respected journalistic organization. Mm -hmm. It would take anything yeah. away from them, but you know, look behind the numbers a little bit. Right. No, Daryl's right. There is a, it is a smaller sample than most likely voter. The big thing, if I was Ted Strickland, I'd worry about is his favorable is in the low 40s. His disapproval's above 50 percent. And when you start getting upside down like that with more negative than positive, that's a problem. Kasich, by contrast, was 38 favorable, 19 unfavorable, and most of the unfavorable were with Democrats who weren't going to vote for him anyway. But, but I that, still what, think that at some point, uh, as we get closer, we're, we're inside, what, 90 days now before this election, and at some point, uh, the, the voters are going to stop uh, voting so much or polling so much on why they don't like this one guy, mm -hmm. and they're going to start looking at Kasich and try to figure out, is he a good fit for us? Mm -hmm. and, and I'm not so sure what they're going to find once they learn more about him. John Kasich made a move this week to introduce himself to those voters who do not know him. Let's take a look at his ad, which started running what this week. What we see here at DHL, really we see all over Ohio. We've lost 400,000 jobs. It's not a statistic, it's people. You know, I grew up in a blue collar town. My father carried mail. It was very, very tough. But the job was something people could count on for a lifetime. This isn't about Republican, Democrat, liberal, and conservative. It's about jobs. My message to people here is the sun's going to come up again. Together, we push and pull. We can get it done. Terry Casey, is that about as soft as we're going to see John Kasich during his campaign? Well, I think you're probably going to see next. People are saying, okay, what are the specifics of what you're going to do? And the good thing for Kasich and also Strickland, there's still over two months left. So there's a lot of time, but there's going to be people voting earlier. But definitely the jobs is the big issue. And if you don't mind me bringing a little prop, this is the unemployment map of the state of Ohio. And the problem for Ted Strickland is only 15 of the 88 counties are at or below the national unemployment rate. 73 of the counties, including all those in green and purple, et cetera, are a higher than average unemployment. That's so, the problem. So green and purple on that map is bad news. Yes. Yeah, but, but the good news in this poll that 86% of those people blamed the Bush administration for the economic woes and 93% say it was Wall Street's problem. So I think the poll reflects that people can see that the economic situation that we're in. Now, when we get down to the solutions, I think in this race, it's not about uh, personalities. It's going to be about it, solutions. Now, the final point I'll make is incumbents are going to catch it more than, than uh, non-incumbents. Absolutely, you're right, Sam. Sa incumbents are feeling the heat all across the country. They're not happy with the people that are in. Does anyone find it ironic that he talks about his dad, who was a postman, and he was praising a government job as being a guaranteed employment for life? Anyone else find that I ironic? I hadn't thought about that, but that is kind of <laughs> ironic, isn't it? Well, but the important thing is he was playing up the blue-collar rules. I know, yeah, I know, but it's just they have because they're trying to yeah. attack him as a Wall Street guy. But there's guy. a bit of hypocrisy about a government job. You can't, you can't squirm away from that, Terry. But well, but I think at least maybe the Ohioans are refreshed just to see the first positive ad of the gubernatorial yeah. campaign. <laughs> and this is what, about the fifth one in if you yeah. count all the special interest <laughs> groups that have been in? Speaking of negative ads, Ted Strickland is negative on the radio attacking John Kasich's votes in Congress on trade. Let's take a listen to that. Pat Spade made automobile parts in Milan, Ohio for 23 years. We were doing good work here in Ohio, and then I lost my job to outsourcing. It was those bad trade deals out of Washington that cost me my job. It was tough on my whole family. So when I heard that Congressman John Kasich voted for all those trade deals that sent Ohio jobs overseas, 
I couldn't believe it. Back in Washington, Kasich voted for NAFTA, and we just watched Ohio. It goes on for another 30 seconds. You get the idea. Daryl, he, he criticizes John Kasich's support for these trade deals, but doesn't say he'd work to reverse them. Trade deals are uh, an interesting dilemma for Ohio Democrats. Uh, some states have, you know, blame illegal immigrants. In Ohio, we seem to blame trade deals. Uh, this worked in 2006 for a lot of Democrats, a little bit Ted Strickland, especially Sherrod Brown. Um, you look at Ted Strickland's history, it's a little more mixed. Uh, he had a couple of votes early in his congressional career that, <clears throat> excuse me, were for some trade deals or most favored nation status for China. Now, his campaign says, well, we can explain those, but when you have to explain things like that, it gets difficult. And I the think biggest thing that's hard for Ted Strickland to explain is in 2008, he campaigned all over Ohio for Hillary, defending Hillary and Bill Clinton on the trade deals. And also he went down to a plant in Circleville. The reason they have a problem at that RCA Thompson plant was because it manufactured glass tubes. Guess what? Technology's changed. It's flat screens that consumers want. I think what we see from these two ads also goes back to the earlier point. At some point, we need to figure out more about who John Kasich is, and I think that's what his ad was about. They realize that. They know that people are going to start to try to learn more about John Kasich before they actually vote for him, and uh, the Ted Strickland campaign obviously realizes it's not going to get any better for them before the election, so they need to try to do as much as they can to try to define who John yeah. Kasich is. I'll, I'll agree with everybody to this extent, because I, I believe the complexity of the problem in solving the economy is so overbearing. I think it's going to come down to who do I like better mm -hmm. and who do I trust better. And I think in the end when people go into that polling place, that's going to be the over, under overriding thing. Because I don't think there's a short-term solution to our economic situation in the next four years. I just don't see how you're going to do it unless you're going to do a WPA program. We hire everybody to go to work and drive the economy that way. Let's get to our next topic. Ted Strickland would much rather talk about John Kasich's old job, but his administration continues to have to answer questions about the jobs of members of the governor's administration. The director of Ohio's appliance rebate program this week resigned after it surfaced that some jobs associated with the stimulus program went to workers in El Salvador. A review found Nadine Howard was notified of the outsourcing beforehand. And the head of the commission that guides public school building projects around the state continues to come under fire for his alleged favoritism toward union contractors. Richard Murray denies those allegations. Darrell Rowland, we've gone through this before. Do we expect Mr. Murray <coughs> to resign soon? Um, good question, because I don't think Ted Strickland can really force him out because it sure seems like he's doing pretty much what Ted Strickland wants him to do. Maybe not the same manner or quite as overtly. Um, let's take a, a step back and look at the big picture. Of course, Governor Strickland won election in 2006, running against the culture of corruption, coming on the heels of Tom Noe, um, Governor Taft, his chief of staff, Ryan Hicks, um, you know, convicted on ethics violations. Now, we haven't faced anything quite that serious in this administration. We've had Helen Jones Kelly looking into Joe the Plumber's uh, background. He stood by her, but she eventually fell on her sword and a couple other people as well. He stood by Henry Guzman, the public safety director, tell, well, okay, we have to get rid of him. He stood by Kathy Collins-Taylor, the safety director. She failed to get confirmation. He supported her and even appointed her to the parole board. So it's a consistent thing. Governor Strickland is finding out that you always run into this, you know, when you're a governor. Dick Celeste had his bad apples, George Voinovich, Bob Taft. And Channel 
Four had last night and the previous night a 28-minute interview with Rich Murray. And the big problem, I live in the Clintonville area, right near the School for the Deaf and the School for the Blind. Well, they're building those buildings, but because of doing union-only contracts, according to Rich Murray, they're going to have to either spend more taxpayer money or they're going to deliver less building. And either way, the taxpayers get shortchanged just to make a few union bosses happy. That doesn't set well with taxpayers. So how do you, how do you solve that? How do you balance the competition aspect on these public projects to wanting to get it to give non-union and union contractors a fair shake. From Common Cause's perspective, is always going to be a political response. If it's a Republican Party, there's a group of people that they take care of, and if it's a Democratic, there's a group of people that they take care of. I think uh, creating a, a level platform and the distribution of contracts is what we should be doing, but nobody ever thinks about that. They don't want to structure them that way. Well, the, the problem is Ohio law says you should have public bidding, it ought to be fair, but if you rig the bid specs so that only certain contractors who do things certain ways can get the work, that's not really fair, it's not getting the best Terry, value I for the taxpayers. I agree with you, but both parties do it. If it's public bidding done openly where everybody has Terry, a chance I'll to compete. both parties do it. <laughs> the Republicans obviously, you know, pretty much outlawed project labor agreements or you know, unions' ability to get contracts as well. So. Well, no, the, the unions can get, I was on the library board for 14 years and Bob Farrington, who's head of the building trades, was on it. We had public bids and bids were awarded to union as well as non-union contractors. You can do it fairly and it's been done that way in the past. But the way Rich Murray wants to do it is not really fair to all the contractors who want to bid. What's interesting also about this is that once again, as, as Darrell was pointing out, this is another uh, example of uh, a Ted Strickland uh, appointee or someone who's getting in trouble and Ted Strickland's initial response is always to immediately stand by that person. And so you wonder at some point if, if that's going to catch up to him. Okay, let's get to our next topic. Ohio this year has executed seven convicted murderers. That ties the highest number the state has executed since the death penalty was restored. Ohio now ranks second only to Texas on the frequency of capital punishment. The next scheduled execution is raising more questions than normal. Kevin Keith was convicted of killing three people in Bucyrus, including a four-year-old girl. But Keith claims his innocence. Many others, including Governor Strickland, have concerns about the case, which has increased calls for a moratorium on executions in Ohio. Reggie Fields, what do you expect the governor to do in this case? He has commuted yeah. three other death row sentences in he's, his administration. Yeah, he's commuted others, and then he's also gone against his own parole board back in 2008 uh, with another individual, Jason Getze, who the parole board, in, in a rare circumstance for them, actually recommended that this guy, uh, his life be spared, and the governor overruled them. So it's, it's kind of hard to predict which way they're going to go. What's interesting about this case is, is um, it, it appears appears that Mr. Keith was mainly convicted off of an eyewitness uh, account uh, or, or a witness account of, of who he was or, or whoever the killer was that evening. And many prosecutors, including former uh, State Attorney General Jim Petro, said this week that that is, that is absolutely the weakest piece of evidence to use yeah. to convict someone. And in this case, not only was he convicted, but uh, he's on death row. In, yeah going to be, you know, sentenced to die in a month. But to give a little bit of balance to what we're talking about here, this person had a 12-hour hearing with an attorney from Jones Day Law Firm, the biggest and best law firm in the state and one of the top 
five law firms in the nation. Uh, and I remember being on this show a few years back with Benson Woolman when he was still alive and we talked afterwards. And Ohio has a much better system than other states do because you can't be an attorney defending somebody in a capital improvement uh, uh, capital capital case mm -hmm. unless you've passed eight hours of training. So Mike Miller, former county prosecutor here, who's done 25 cases, couldn't do defense work until he took 80 hours of training. So there's a lot of protections there, including a 12-hour hearing. It's not like something's done with people not having competent uh, counsel defending them. But yeah, I think it's kind of hard to ignore the fact that you've got so many people on both sides of the capital punishment issue, people who are for capital punishment and certainly those who are against, who are all saying that this case maybe deserves a, another look mm -hmm. before you sentence the, the guy to death and when you can't bring him back at a later date. And we just, you know, how many accounts have we had now, not only in Ohio but other states, of, of people we thought were, you know, guilty, um, maybe even to death's door. And it turns out that they were not. That right, the eyewitnesses were wrong. You know, our, our my colleagues test a conviction series a couple of years ago. So it's already freed a couple, and that, you know. But we've got the process to check that, and I don't think Ohio's got it. When somebody gets a 12-hour hearing with that high power of an attorney, I don't think it's a rush to judgment. With a dubious judgment. distinction of being second to Texas, yeah. I don't think that's a noble thing to want to be. The whole idea of a death penalty to me is absurd. Who can decide to take somebody's life? And like Daryl said, there's a lot of evidence out there. I think life without parole is much more heinous than death. And the dispatch pointed out, they talked to uh, some family members who thought that that actually gave them more closure because the case ended. The person was given life without parole. It wasn't this two-decade-long process of waiting for the, all these appeals, the appeals to go through before yeah. the person was put to death. Well, unless the murderer kills somebody in prison, if you're a family of a prison guard that's killed by one of these people. Yeah, but it's uh, thing called double jeopardy. Uh, well, it's a free murder. I mean, that's one of the problems with <laughs> Terry, I've never heard murder. it called a free murder before. Well, you don't have to worry about <laughs> any more punishment. It's a free one. How often does that happen, though, where somebody, I mean, I'm sure it happens, it has happened, but how rare you know, People is it? killed during the Lucasville, Lucasville. riots. Yeah. Mm, okay, yeah. that's true, too. All right, our next topic, police and counselors say prescription drug abuse has reached epidemic proportions here in Ohio. In a special series on WOSU 89.7 FM, Mandy Trimble found that legal prescription drugs like the painkiller OxyContin cause more overdoses in the state than heroin and cocaine combined. The drug treatment center Maryhaven has seen a 78% increase in the number of patients being treated for painkillers abuse. Some lawmakers are trying to tighten the rules, but some of the mandates have run into opposition from physicians groups. Sam Gresham, we've heard a lot about this war on drugs. Is this not included in that war? Painkillers, prescription I think, drugs? I think heretofore has been one of those hidden components, but I think with the ratio of deaths that we've had as a result of this and the, and, and, and the uh, prescription drug market that has certainly bloomed all of a sudden, uh, people are beginning to focus on it, but I think the deaths are the first thing. I think the solution with the legislation that's been put in place is a good illustration of identifying a problem and getting people fighting over how to best solve the problem. Um, is it that you want everybody to take a drug test? Do you want doctors to have more restrictions on what they can do? Do you want to deal with the pain management systems of how they use drugs, who's certified to use those drugs? Um, but it all spills over into illegal activity. People stealing drugs or getting prescriptions and people are selling them. I think the first time we saw this is in high schools where kids were getting their parents' pain medicine and they were selling the drugs in high school. This is definitely a big problem. I talked knowing we we're going to talk about this on the show with both Ron O'Brien, 
and Dave Yost, the prosecutors here in Franklin County and Delaware County, and it's a big problem. It's not as easy to solve because the medical community doesn't want to tighten some of the reporting requirements they've got to do. But one suggestion Ron O'Brien said is if we have more police able to do undercover work, you can sort out and target some of these docks and these pill mills. And in Dave Yost's opinion, I mean, in some ways, he hates drug dealers, but the docs and the pharmacists, there's a few of them who are doing this, are worse than the drug dealers because of how they hook people on these drugs. I mean, that's the problem with this. Is it's not associated with what we normally consider to be a drug problem out illegal on the streets, drugs, illegal yeah. drugs out on the streets. This is a different uh, sort of beast in that you have to find someone else to police it. So who's going to police it? Who's going to you know have that onus on them to be able to police something like this? Certainly, some of the legislation that that I'm aware of uh, wants to put it on the physicians. Yeah. Obviously, they don't want that on their backs. The police, uh, you mentioned, maybe more police. I don't, you know. That that means more money, more officers to do uh, a, a totally different sort of investigation. So who are you gonna put the responsibility on to police something like this? There is a system where doctors can, if they choose, to uh, to check the backgrounds of their, their patients to see if they're doctor shopping, looking, getting prescription right. painkillers from more than one doctor. Mm -hmm. Doctors don't want to be forced to, to, do that. to check right. that system. And part of the well, problem also- one out of five do now, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I re it was a really nice series by Mandy, by the way. Uh, I remember my colleague Alan Johnson coming to me two or three, maybe four years ago, when the uh, the rate of death in Ohio, the de cause of death in Ohio, crossed the line for young people from traffic yeah. accidents to drug overdoses. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. It's pretty mm -hmm. scary. Mm -hmm. Let's get to our final topic. It's hard to believe, but a little more than a year ago, a year ago, Columbus officials feared major cuts, layoffs of hundreds of police officers and firefighters, but voters last August okayed a one-half of 1% increase in the city's income tax. The city may not be flush with cash, but it has enough money to fix streets again and think about adding services rather than eliminating them. Terry Casey, you opposed this tax increase last year. We haven't seen a, a, an exodus of companies because of this tax increase in the past, you know, 10 months since it went into effect. Was it worth it? Well, I think the thing that troubles me the most, Channel 10 this week had a very good series where they detailed how we're going to have a significant drop in the number of police officers and no real plans from City Hall on how to replace them. Part of it because City Hall is going to get an $8 million hit on this drop program uh, in terms of they're going to have to pay out. Uh, and the city, in my opinion, and I think some other people's opinion, they got a few little tiny givebacks from the police and fire, but they really haven't fixed the problem of City Hall paying the pension things. Most people have to pay their own Social Security, but uh, a lot of the city employees don't have to pay their share of the pension. So City Hall, in my opinion, really hasn't fixed the problem, and we don't have the police we need as the crime rate, obviously the murder rate's way up this year. Drop program is the program to, to, to encourage poli police Even officers to retire. points, though, this is a great illustration of courage and of leadership from the city of Columbus. And sneaking it by the taxpayers well, in an wait, August wait, wait, election when most people didn't While everybody know. else is burying their heads in the sand, the city council and the mayor of the city of Columbus took a chance and was courage, told people the truth. We don't have enough money. 
we're proposing that we pass this levy. Now, I think that's a good model for the rest of the world. The people in the General Assembly, the people in the United States Congress need to look out their little window and take their hands out of the uh, out of the sand. It's not cut, cut, cut. But mayors in Akron, Democrat mayors in Akron and Cleveland and other cities have realized that just more taxes and more taxes doesn't solve it. In some cases, you've got to run the operations more efficiently. I agree with and you. And people that. at the FOP will tell you we've got too many high-ranking officers pushing paper and riding around in cars. We need no more street with officers. That. Well, without that income tax increase, let's face it, there would probably been hundreds of officers gone from the force today that we wouldn't have. So it takes a while to get the police and fire classes started up again. This, you know, the paving program has been restored. The rec centers are being reopened. You know, yard waste pickup is starting. Maybe we have curbside recycling. I'm not necessarily defending it, but there are certainly, it's not like nothing happened from that tax increase. Are you surprised that there weren't more Me Too tax increases? Worthington passed an increase in their income tax. Grandview Heights did as well. Whitehall is asking for one. The city of Delaware is asking but, for one. But Dublin, Hilliard, Westerville, they haven't. But we've got other communities like New Albany and Westerville and others using that tax difference to recruit business to their areas saying, we're a better deal. You need to come here Terry, instead of going to Columbus. But they're not that effective. Yeah, Columbus nationwide's is still growing. Moving, nationwide's moving all those jobs to downtown from Dublin. Yeah, they're not effective. They got, they got another yeah, but there, there's a lot of communities using it against Columbus, and long-term, it's going to hurt us. All right, let's get to our weekly final thoughts, our off-the-record parting shots. Sam Gresham, you're up first. I think I have to take the uh, onus of saying that I think Ohio State really has a shot this year. <laughs> shot at what? I don't know what, but something. <laughs> <laughs> football national championship? I did Big Ten, whatever. <laughs> Big 12, mythical national championship, whatever it is. Terry? I'm going to be a lot more specific than Sam. This is Friday the 13th, and Mary Jo Kilroy got bad news today when NBC and Chuck Todd put her on the top 13 list of most endangered members of Congress. And I think there's going to be more newspaper publicity coming very soon about problems in her financial bill. This has not been a good day, Friday the 13th, for Mary Jo Kilroy. Okay. Daryl. It's a little over 80 days till election. It's only about six weeks till people are actually going to start voting in this state. This state faces an $8 billion shortfall next year. Have we heard how Ted Strickland or John Kasich will solve one dollar of that program. Voters, you better start demanding specifics or you'll just have to live with it next year and not know. Okay, and Reggie. Well, as we all know, Cleveland Cavaliers owner Dan Gilbert missed out on the biggest free agent uh, ever last year, last month, I should say, in LeBron James. But this week he announced that, uh, that he, for his casino, he has signed on with the biggest casino gaming group in the world, Harris Entertainment. And that's good news for Cleveland because it, it means that finally uh, Cleveland maybe can get a land deal done and start building that casino, which is also supposed to bring some of that money to help out that Daryl was talking about we're missing out on. All right. That is Columbus on the record for this week. We urge you to check out our online offerings where you can continue the discussion. We are on Facebook and we are on Twitter. You can also check out our blog. All of that is available at our website, WOSU.org slash COTR. For our crew here at WOSU at COSI and for our panel, I'm Mike Thompson. Have a good week.